Who goes there? Uh, hello? Mark? Is that you? Oh, hey. Baco. What's up? Well, I was coming over here to record the show. Where did this bridge and this waterfall come from? And are those armed guards with you? Yeah, since we didn't record a show last week, I took advantage of the downtime and had them installed. You know, to keep away those unwanted visitors. Okay. None of that really makes sense, but anyway. Can I come over there so we can record this show? Your guards won't let me pass. Sure, it's easy. If the first thing you say is the truth, I'll permit you to cross. But if you lie, I'll have to have you thrown into the water. Ugh, seriously? Why can't we ever just record this show without something weird or stupid happening beforehand? Look, if you want to come across the bridge, those are the rules. If your first statement is the truth, you can cross. If you lie, into the drink. Alright, if that's the way you want to play it, then here's my statement. You will throw me into the water. Wait, what? You're going to throw me into the water. That's my statement. Oh, well, that's going to be an issue. Well, how's that? Well, in order to make your statement true, I have to throw you into the water. And if your statement is true, then I have to let you cross. Which means I can't have thrown you into the water. But if I don't throw you into the water and I let you cross, then your statement of I will throw you into the water is false. And if your statement is false, then I'm supposed to throw you into the water. Uh, Hold on, my brain is about to explode. You know what's making your brain explode, Mark. Yeah, these bridge rules I made up seem like they're creating a paradox. Well, at least I'm on theme for this week. Wait, are we doing another episode on paradoxes? Hit that funky theme music, Paco, and maybe you'll find out on today's show. Hey everyone, welcome to You've Got It All Wrong, a philosophy podcast for handsome people like you. I'm Chad Allen. I'm Paco Allen. And I'm America's sweetheart, Mark Sanders. So the amazing radio drama that you just heard is a paradox of Buridan's bridge. Um, and that's a paradox described by the philosopher Jean Buridan. Is it Jean Buridan? Is this guy French? He's French. He's super deal? French. He's French? So he dis- he would have described it as Le Pont de Buridan. <laughs> can, can you pronounce his name for our listeners? Jean Buridan. Jean Buridan? Yeah, my, my favorite one is always Jean Foucault. Uh, sorry, French listeners. Um, okay, and so then this paradox comes from his book, Sophismata. I don't know how to say it. That sounds really Latin. I don't know how to say it in the, with a French accent. Uh, I don't think you have to say any of it with a French accent. Is all okay, this good. stuff staying in, or are we just plowing through this? <laughs> yeah, all of this is staying in. <laughs> you always ask me that, and of course it's staying in. Okay. Okay, so this bridge paradox originally was told about Plato and Socrates as characters in what's known as a self-reference paradox. And this one in particular is about a proposition that's pronounced about an event that may or may not happen in the future. Um, It's a pretty common form of paradox in philosophy, and we're not going to really go through it in detail today. Um, We just thought it was a fun it's a fun paradox and a good way to introduce the topic. 
we are going to talk about a similar self-reference paradox along with two other paradoxes. So if you liked the bridge one, stay tuned. And obviously you can go read the Wikipedia article about it. If you like bridges, you're in the right place. (laughs) Regular listeners may note that this is the second part um, in our series on paradoxes. You definitely don't have to listen to the first part in order to understand this episode. Um, But if you like this episode, you should go check out the previous episode on paradoxes, which is episode 14. So why do we care about paradoxes at all? If you listen to episode 14 already, this might be a little bit of a repeat for you, but I think it's important to say a little bit about paradoxes before we dive into the ones we're going to talk about. So usually, just as a sort of blanket statement, paradoxes work by taking two um, ideas that seem true when you think about them independently, um, but then when you put them together, um, they seem to be inconsistent. And I think we're drawn to them just as human beings because they create this sort of intuitive sense of something being wrong or something's amiss. But I also think it's important to note that they, while they're sort of like fun to think about and interesting um, and compelling, we have a tendency to think that that it kind of ends there. But I think the reality is that uh, some paradoxes do have a solution. And I think often people assume that, hey, if this is a paradox, it's sort of that it's unsolvable by its very nature. And I guess we kind of think that because a lot of paradoxes have been around for thousands of years and they still don't have solutions. But sometimes we do find a paradox that has a solution. And that can be a really interesting moment in the history of ideas. And even for the ones that we don't have solutions for, they can, you know, still make us, they can challenge assumptions we have or preconceived notions or make us rethink concepts or the meaning of specific words. So even the ones that are, that don't have kind of a agreed upon consensus solution are still valuable in challenging concepts and ideas. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, let's illustrate that by diving right into our first paradox, um, which which is somewhat overlapping with the paradox we we opened with in the sense that it's about the sort of like truth or falseness of statements uttered by people in sort of everyday language. And it's called, what is it called, Paco? It's the unexpected hanging paradox. All right. Lay it on us. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little bit of choose your own adventure here to set this one up. Excellent. And this is not a time travel paradox, but let's just uh, pretend we've got our time traveling DeLorean here, and I'm gonna let you guys decide if we're gonna travel to one of the two time periods from Back to the Future two and three. Do you guys want to travel back to 1885 for this paradox or to the future 2015? Um, I'm going to vote for the future, a.k.a. today, uh, just because I know a lot more about 2015 in general and about Back to the Future 2 versus Back to the Future 3. So I'm going to go with the thing okay. I know, which is 2015. Yeah, I would also like to vote for that that slight um, that slight uh, time in the past now, since it was, what, early November that we, uh, sorry, early October that we, uh, they traveled to? Right, right. 
Okay, well, so this paradox does involve, as the title suggests, capital punishment and capital punishment in the form of hanging. And you might think, man, does anybody even hang anybody anymore in the year 2015? And weirdly, they do. And it might not even be the states that you think uh, hang people as a form of execution. You might be thinking, ah, it's got to be somewhere in the South. Like, they must hang people in Texas. Nope. Right. It's Delaware, New Hampshire, and Washington are the three states that still have hanging as an approved method of execution. Can I go back and choose 1885? Yep, we're in the Old West. and well, ev- Everyone did hanging. <laughs> <laughs> we're in the Old West. Uh, people are hanging from trees left and right. You can't walk a yeah. mile without seeing a, someone hanging. Uh, and uh, Buford Tannen is on trial for by sh- shooting one of the sheriffs in the back or something. I can't remember. I've yeah. seen Back to the Future 3 a lot, but whatever. Buford Tannen's on trial for murder. Yeah. And uh, the judge sentences him to die by hanging and his sentence also includes the following conditions he says that you're going to be hung at noon on a weekday in the following week and that the date of the execution will be a surprise to the prisoner to buford tannen wait so i just want to be clear about the fact that you are not describing the actual plot of the movie no this isn't the actual plot of back to the future (laughs) three I mean, it's an alternate timeline that we've messed up because we've traveled back to 1885 and messed with the Back to the Future timeline. Um, So uh, the the prisoner, Buford Tannen, is uh, condemned to be hanged uh, by the neck at noon on one of the following days in the fo- one of the days in the following week. What, so which day does this condemnation come down to him like on a Saturday or something? It's a you know, it's a surprise. It's a it's a weekday, so it's not a weekend. No, so no, Monday when, when, when is this when is this like sentence pronounced? Oh, man, whatever. Like Saturday morning at 8:45. Okay, the the previous week, right? The previous yeah, yeah. week. Um so the following week Buford Tannen will be hung on a weekday at noon and yeah. the day will be a surprise. Buford okay. won't know the day that he'll be hung until the moment the executioner knocks on his cell door. Right. Uh, so this is where it kind of falls apart because Buford's really dumb and he would never think about this. But uh, in the unexpected <laughs> hanging paradox, the prisoner then kind of reflects on his sentence and actually comes up with a solution to escape from the hanging. And his reasoning okay. goes as such. First, he looks at the days of the week, those five days, and he looks at kind of, he's basically kind of breaking down the judge's, uh, the different components of the judge's sentence. So it's got to be during the week. That gives you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's going to be a surprise hanging. So the prisoner can't know what day it's going to happen. So he starts by ruling out Friday as a day that he that the hanging can occur on. Because if noon Thursday comes around and he hasn't been hung, then the only day left that he can be hung is Friday, but it can no longer be a surprise because he's ruled out every day of the the week other than Friday because they've already passed. Yep. So basically at that point, the prisoner says, Buford says, it can only be Monday through Thursday at this point because we've ruled out Friday. Yeah, makes sense. But if it can't happen on Friday, Friday has been ruled out. Then by the time you hit noon on Wednesday, 
Thursday is the only day left it can happen on. So you can also rule out Thursday. It's the only Thursday is the only day left it, that it can happen because we already ruled out Friday. Because you've ruled out Friday. Yeah. Yeah. So then you can use that same logic to kind of proceed backwards from Friday to the beginning of the week and rule out every other day of the week as a surprise hanging day. Right. So then what happens, though, is that come Wednesday at noon, the executioner knocks on the door and Buford's totally surprised and he gets hung anyways. So you have this paradox where you can, where Buford can seemingly break down this sentence and say that according to the rules that the judges laid out about when the execution is going to happen and the fact that it's going to be a surprise, he's eliminated all the days of the week as being surprises, but still he's surprised on Wednesday and what the judge said like seems to have come true, even though it seems to be at the same time paradoxical. Right. So what do you think is going on here? Um, well, I mean, I think this is an interesting paradox because it's it's one of these paradoxes that doesn't really have a kind of consensus um, solution, yeah. you know, even yeah. to this date. And there's a lot of different ways that people attack it um, and try to find solutions to it. Um, and we don't have time to go into all of them, but we can probably touch on a couple of them. You know, one of them kind of goes deep into a lot of modern philosophical debates, goes kind of deep into trying to define the language that's being used in the paradox and eliminate some of the vagueness in the terms. You know, so one approach is to kind of try to attack the word surprise and yeah. figure out what surprise actually yeah. means. And, you know, some um, some analysis of, of, the, of this paradox will take the word surprise and kind of come to the conclusion that surprise basically means that the prisoner is doing some kind of probability analysis on each of the days of the week and that it's impossible for the prisoner to apply a hundred percent certainty that he won't be executed on all five days of the week. So it's kind of an attack on the word surprise and the vagueness of the exact definition of surprise. And it gets into some of the kind of weird probability um, math that comes along with um, the game show paradox that we touched on in episode 14, the, the Monty Hole paradox. paradox, Yeah, where if if you've eliminated, you know, so if you've got five days of the week that this execution can happen on, you would think that the probability that the execution would happen on um, each of those days of the week to be... Uh, a one out of five chance. Um, but if you eliminate Friday, then it, then the math isn't still one fifth for each of those remaining days. Right. Yeah. So there's, you I know, mean, there's kind of a, a mind bending version of the analysis that gets into that kind of mathematics. I mean, it's, it's tough because like it, like it starts out by making a lot of sense, right? Like it does seem like you can rule out Friday. Because, you know, if you get to Thursday, then, yeah, like, obviously it's going to be Friday because, you know, it's right. it's got to be one of these days and it didn't happen yet. And there's only there's one There's no way day. to get to Friday without having Monday through Thursday pass. <laughs> right. 
So, but I'm sitting there on Wednesday. One, yeah, one so another, it's just like another, the language is weird, right? Because you're saying it's Wednesday and I've already ruled out Friday as a surprise day because of the reasons we just discussed. So, And if Friday's now, gone, that makes Thursday the last day of the week that it could happen and you've got the right. same conundrum. <laughs> right. So yeah. one, one solution, which I don't know, Mark, if this was where you were about to go, one solution <laughs> that I read was... Uh, well, Wednesday will never be a surprise to the prisoner because every time you read about this paradox, the executioner knocks on Wednesday. <laughs> my, my, my solution, <laughs> if, I, if I was the, the prisoner and, and I knew that I, I had to be surprised uh, in order for the criteria to be met to be executed, I would announce very loudly, as soon as I woke up on every single day, the phrase, I am going to be executed today. Therefore, <laughs> if it does happen... It, it confirms the fact that I, I wasn't surprised. Yeah, like I think those... that I think that one 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 might question though whether or not just by making that statement means that you still wouldn't be surprised when the executioner knocked. Yeah, yeah, philosophically and and, and morally, it, it's like those um, financial analysts who um, have very uh, very financially uh, uh, valuable careers um, from their uh, historic. Uh, insight into predicting the uh, financial crisis of 2008-2009. But if you go back and look, you you see that they went on record very publicly saying that there'll be a massive financial uh, meltdown uh, for the past 10 years, year on year, and just they they just kept doing it until the the, the crisis happened. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's the that's a similar approach to the one the one that you were just uh, (laughs) recommending. Just on the other side. Um, So (laughs) <laughs> can I can I just give you one more uh, variation on on this that I, I I heard a while ago? I think it was back in in 2010 that really amazed me, and it revolved around uh, days of the week and probability. And unlike a a paradox, uh, this this riddle actually has a provable, justifiable, quantifiable answer. And I, I wonder if you guys have heard of it. So this is from the uh, uh, puzzle designer uh, Gary uh, Foshi from uh, Issachar, Washington. So here, here's the statement. It's it's two lines. He he went to a puzzle convention. He had a, a the keynote speaking um, uh, uh, gig. He went up for you know an hour and a half lecture in, on on puzzle design, and he gave this one riddle, and then walked away and left the entire conference flabbergasted and unable to to process it. So here, here's the riddle: I have two children, one of whom is a son born on a Tuesday. What is the probability that I have two boys? And there's a, a, a clear, <sighs> definitive mathematical answer. Chop the mic. Yeah, I, I, I did. I did actually come across this when I was reading about the unexpected hanging paradox, and I don't, but I don't remember what the solution is. Um, but I, I think it's a similar. It's a, it, it, the math is similar to the Monty Hall thing with the doors, right? Where the probability is so it basically comes down to i think um the fact that you need to look at the probability of having two boys versus the probability of that second child in isolation being a boy or a girl like if you said uh, the chances of having a boy or a girl are 50 percent, and just like got rid of whatever the real world math is of it being whatever 51.2 percent versus yeah. yeah whatever so if you just say it's 50 50 boy or girl every time you have a kid the probability of the second kid being a boy isn't 50-50. It's 
based on what the prob it's 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 the probability of having two boys versus two girls versus a boy and a girl versus a girl and a boy. So it has to do if you have a boy and a girl, it has to also you also have to factor in the probability of having a boy first and a girl second. Um, so Was I this don't on know our list the, of paradoxes. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not really a paradox. It's more of like a statistics Math problem. Riddle. Yeah, but, but yeah. Buford was on the right lines of trying to create a mathematical probabilistic heuristic around trying to make uh, assumptions about the world. But he ended up getting caught in a what you might say is a causality loop. He was, you know, very much like traveling in the DeLorean. Um, he he found himself in a situation where um, he he didn't have a a clear. Um, clear ground to stand on in order to make those those objective assumptions. Uh, so, so are we going to give away the we going to give away the answer to this uh, puzzle convention keynote speech? Also, how nerdy is that scene? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so what is we gonna, we gonna, do you know the we gonna put that? Uh, are we going to put it in the show notes and make people go to the website? Yeah, let's let's put it in the show notes or on our, on the Facebook page. Uh, check out the Facebook page for the answer, uh, or you know, just Google it. But yeah, please and check out the like Facebook a, page. Is it like an hour and a half long YouTube video where like that? It just like <laughs> the first ninety seconds are him talking, and then it's just like a camera pointed at an empty stage. <laughs> that would be great. I think we should do that. Um, okay. Does anybody want to hear any more solutions for the unexpected hanging paradox or on to the next one? Um, I, I don't know. Are they going to, are they satisfying or are they just like as confusing as the paradox itself? Um, I don't think that there are any, I, I, I came across no real satisfying solutions to it. I mean, I think that's why it's, it's still considered a, an unsolved non consensus paradox i don't really want to talk about it anymore because it's kind of creeping me out <laughs> the hanging part or the paradox the paradox part. Lin- lynching you're totally fine okay. with no the hanging part was creeping me out when we did the 2015 version but i got right. over that when we went back to 1885 and now it's just like the the mind-bending paradoxical part of it is is creeping me out yeah you know you can still get executed by firing squad in some places in this country so that's the thing is like I get it that like hanging is like in a like you know buried in some like law somewhere but I'm sh- I'm assuming that Delaware isn't like actually hanging people these days. You think it's just a stub on the law books. 3 people have been hanged since 17 since 1976. Since 1976? 3 Yeah. Like in what wow. state? Uh, uh, some Delaware? combination of those, th- uh, some combination of those three states. Oh, isn't it? Isn't <laughs> it dealer's choice uh, in some states where you get to choose how you're executed? There are some states that do have that. Yeah, dealer's choice is that what they call it? Is that what they call it? Okay. yeah, that didn't that didn't make it, any less. The the, the only other um, um, uh, uh, hanging. Um, a uh, piece of trivia I, I heard recently was um, that the last public hanging, uh, the last public execution in England, uh, overlapped with the um, the operational uh, state of the London Underground. So you could take a subway uh, to the last public hanging uh, in London, the, the the old and the new overlapping very briefly. Wow, Chris. Uh, okay, yeah, let's let's do another. Uh, do we have a less creepy? 
a depressing paradox? Yes, we do. Thanks to our great uh, friend of the show, uh, Alex Ortiz. Hi, Alex. How you doing? Alex uh, wanted to pass on a, a great uh, movie paradox uh, to us uh, recently in a, in a Facebook comment on our page. Uh, the movie is uh, Predestination uh, from 2014, 2015, starring um, uh, Ethan Hawke. So we're not going to spoil what the uh, what the the conceit is, um, but if you're uh, familiar with the original text, you can actually read the short story that it was based on, um, uh, which was titled. Has anybody seen this movie? Yeah, one of our one of our former coworkers has. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And he okay. described it to me and I decided I'd never want to watch it. Okay. <laughs> um if you if you want to get the whole gist of the movie, not that you should miss out on the wonderful theatrical um stylings of of, of Ethan Hawke, but you can read the short story in uh, in approximately, you know, half an hour um called uh, All You Zombies. It's a it's a it's a very easy read and uh, you get all the major points and you if you were to uh, read it. Um, if you were to pause this podcast, go off and read it, then come back and play the podcast. And don't do that. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? So much more value. Okay, stay here. Stay here. Don't do anything. So pause this Keep podcast. Ahead. Read a novel. Watch the movie. <laughs> come back in a month. Finish the podcast. It's 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 a, it's a half hour read. It's a pamphlet. But uh, you're right. Okay. So stay stay here, okay. please. Uh, so, so thanks, uh, Alex, to uh, for, for recommending this. I'd like to illustrate this this um, the the main uh, crux of the story with a um, uh, uh, an anecdote from a, a recent uh, uh, Doctor Who episode. Um, this was in the episode in the most recent series starring Peter Capaldi called "Before the Flood." So, um, oh, imagine you're time <laughs> imagine you're a time traveler, and uh, uh-huh. you're also a great fan of Beethoven. And you want to go back in 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 the past to to meet your idol Beethoven. You uh, yeah. uh, you bring all copies of uh, Beethoven's sheet music with you, so he can sign it because you're you know such a fan. You you find uh, based on the history books, you know where he lived at a particular time in history, and you go and knock on the door. Wait, are you? Discover... I just have to jump in here and ask you: Are you telling me that this is the plot of a Doctor Who episode? That that Doctor Who is you is is literally like using his amazing time travel powers to give it personally autograph copy of Bach's sheet music? Uh, no, in, in fact, he, he uses this anecdote to explain another storyline okay. which is in. It's, it's very meta, which, uh, which is why All I right. can tell this story without uh, spoiling both um, the movie Predestination or that particular episode of, of Before the Flood, which is why I, I okay. that. So um, he, he goes back, he knocks on the door um, where, where Beethoven would, would live, only to find out that there's no such person in the world at that point in history, called Beethoven. But since he has all his sheet music, he uh, endeavors to copy it all out longhand so the world can appreciate it. And he spends a lot of time, and it's all, uh, since it's uh, in, in the same period, you know, historically relevant, and uh, by chance, he ends up becoming Beethoven. So the question is, uh, who in our world wrote Beethoven's music? Since uh, Beethoven himself never produced it and it was just a copy that was produced that we're enjoying today so the 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 description of this as a bootstrap paradox refers to the fact that imagine um uh, raising yourself up by pulling on the bootstraps or shoelaces of your own shoes in order to um in order to uh, reach uh, uh you know higher up on a shelf say you 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 think that you you should be able to just you know pull up um uh 
from uh, you know your your shoes in order to kind of like raise them. Uh, those shoes and your feet are already in them, so you should be able to essentially um, uh, you know lift yourself up through your own effort. Wait, like but, both feet at the same time? Yeah, imagine pulling up your shoe. Because well, I don't, so you... I, I, I don't, I don't actually think that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I reject your premise. I have never been All right. like yes, trying to this... like step up on something and thought if I grab both of these bootstraps. You mean you're not you're not Bugs Bunny? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyways, that's the the name of this paradox gets its name because. Uh, the dude who wrote Starship Troopers, the book, not the movie, yeah, gave it that, gave it this name, kind of referencing the same idea that you know the idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps literally is is kind of as ridiculous in terms of trying to understand the causes of things as this paradox where you go back in time to meet your idol Beethoven. Turns out he hasn't written any of the music that he's credited as writing in the future when you're a fan of his, but you've brought all the sheet music back, so you give him the sheet music or sing it back to him, and he writes it all down and then becomes the Beethoven who wrote all that music that you know him as credited writing in the future. So who wrote it? Yeah, also referred to as backwards causation, something happening in the past as a result of something happening in the future. So this is just like an impossible thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's that's what we you know we've classically thought. Um, you know, the, a great um, term that I, I read in the um, the, uh, the 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 Plato Stanford Edu um, entry um, in the ph- philosophical texts under backwards causation uh, refers to going back and and murdering yourself in time. Um, and of course, you wouldn't be able to do that because you wouldn't be alive in the future in order to go back. And they use the phrase. Retro suicide, which sounds like a uh, a great band name, if anybody wants to wants to jump on that. Um, but but recently we have found examples in in the world uh, measurable uh, results of of experiments at the quantum level, where uh, in the nineteen sixties the scientists studying uh, tachyons, um, quantum uh, particles, have been noted to have uh, uh, reacted to stimuli uh, before the stimuli was delivered in essence, um, sending um, echoes backwards in time in, in ways that uh, aren't explainable in our, in our macro-Newtonian universe, but uh, are perfectly reliable and predictable in, in the quantum world. Yeah, we need a whole uh, episode on this, because this I have a huge pet peeve around this kind of translation of quantum mechanics uh, from math to everyday English. Because like there's, they were way off topic now, but um, there's just something like fundamentally incoherent about saying in in everyday English that uh, something responded to a stimulus before the stimulus was delivered. Like that's just like in when you say that in in English, it's just gibberish. gibberish. But but somehow you know there's pure there's, frontier gibberish. <laughs> let's just make as okay. many movie references as we possibly can in this episode and call it a night <laughs> okay are there any solutions to this problem mark um the the solutions are that it's it's uh you know from a philosophical point of view from a macro level um it's deemed to be um impossible from a scientific 
and a, a philosophical um, standpoint. Um, and, and it's been proven through a number of, 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 of other thought experiments, such as uh, Newcomb's paradox, where there's a situation where you're playing a game with two boxes. Uh, one of them, box A, has a thousand dollars in it, and uh, box I choose B, box A. <laughs> well, that's that's probably the the, the best solution. Um, box B has either nothing in it or one million dollars, and you have the option of taking just box B or both boxes. However, you're playing against um, a, a a a person in in the game referred to as the predictor that can predict with. 100% um, accuracy what you're going to do. Um, and if he, he predicts that you're going to take um, the box uh, that uh, you, you know doesn't have um, a known quantity and it either has a zero or one million dollars, it, uh, it will always have zero dollars. Um, how, how do you make how do you make choices based on um, based on the, the fact that the predictor essentially has, um, uh, you know, causation backwards causation in terms of making decisions about what to put in the boxes based on what you're going to do in the future. Um, and it's decided that the I won't go into more of the specifics, and there's lots of variations that you can you can um, you can game out. But the uh, the chooser's choice will have already caused the predictor's action essentially. So um, some have concluded that if time machines or perfect predictors can exist, then there will be no free will and choosers will do whatever they're fated to do anyway, which goes back to one of our favorite topics, lack of free will. I want to shoot myself right now. I don't even yeah, understand I'm starting to question the, uh, the wisdom of our decision to do another episode about paradoxes. <laughs> you, get, you get some fun Doctor Who, you get some free money in boxes, and uh, you get some uh, charming Beethoven riffs. Um, okay, well, maybe... Maybe we can just like quickly rush through this third paradox. And, oh yeah, and... this one should. This has got to be a real simple one, right? With some known yeah. solutions, please. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I mean, basically, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you about the paradox, and then you'll immediately immediately come upon its resolution, um, and the show will be over ninety seconds from now. Whew. Um. So this is called the paradox that I wanted to talk about is called the uh, the paradox of analysis. Um, it goes by lots of other names. Um, you can find versions of it um, all the way back to the ancient Greeks. I think it's known as Minos paradox, but the the contemporary version of it is called the paradox of analysis. And I'll sort of illustrate it. I think uh, before I talk about its general form. So. This is an audio um, podcast. Nobody's going to be able to see your drawings. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, let me think of a new plan. Um, <laughs> Why don't you just talk about it and tell us tell us some <laughs> okay. about it? So Maybe you can so, use an example to, you know, like a story. Oh, good idea. Okay. So uh, take a simple statement um, like this one. All male siblings are brothers. So... I think on the face of it, this seems like an informative statement, right? If I didn't know what a brother is and you told me, hey, a, a, a brother is a male sibling, then it's, then it seems like, oh, okay, like that's new information. That was an informative statement. I learned something. Um, but if we take a closer look we and we think about, well, why is this statement true that that all male siblings are brothers. And it's true because brother 
and male sibling have the same meaning. And so that means that I should be able to swap them out for each other. I should be able to swap out brother and male sibling in any sentence um, because they they are essentially equivalent to each other. So now it, it, where we find ourselves is that the sentence all male siblings are brothers is just equivalent to the statement all male siblings are male siblings. And that sentence is not informative at all. And so it, it is general form. The paradox is, is something along the lines of in order for us to take a, a term like brother and then give a definition of it like male sibling, in order for that definition to be correct, the term and the definition have to mean the same thing. But if, if the term and the definition mean the same thing, then it's not really an informative statement because you just told me that all male siblings are male siblings and that's not informative. So we kind of end up in this place where where a statement is either true or it's informative, but not both. And so because in order for a statement to be informative, like the the term and the definition like can't be equivalent. Uh, so we kind of ended up in a place One, like the definition has to be the definition has to be like additive in that it's bringing something additional or new to the table. Right. So like, um, you know, take a statement like water is H2O. Right. There there was a time when we didn't know that water was H2O and we had to go out and make some empirical observations to discover that water is H2O. And, you know, in theory, you know, we could develop some better understanding of physics or chemistry or we could, you know, change our theories of physics and we might discover that water is not H2O. It's actually, you know, some other thing. Unlikely, but, you know, uh, but due to the nature of science and empirical observations, like, you know, a theoretical possibility. So there's something informative about the statement that water is H2O that's different from the statement uh, in in nature from the statement that all brothers are male siblings. And I think that this this paradox is important because in my mind, it's sort of, and in the minds of many other philosophers, I guess, sort of like points to a fundamental problem with analytic philosophy, which is sort of the, you know, sort of mainstream branch of philosophy in the English speaking world for the last hundred years, arguably longer, because the, you know, the sort of thread of analytic philosophy is that we can learn things by examining the relationships between words and concepts. So, you know, take your favorite philosophical concept. So just for example, like compatibilism, which is a, a theory about free will and determinism that we discussed in an earlier episode. And the the definition that a compatibilist gives of free will is that um, free will is the ability to act according to your desires unimpeded. And so that sounds like, oh, we're we're learning something, right? We just learned what free will is. But if we parse it out in the context of this paradox, we could just rephrase that sentence as the ability to act according to your desires unimpeded is the ability to act according to your desires unimpeded. 
because the ability to act according to your desires unimpeded is equivalent to free will. So now it turns out we haven't actually learned anything. You know, we 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 have a a statement that is true but not informative. And so this has led people I mean is it possible to is it possible to have learned something the first time that you're exposed to that and then at that point you're no longer learning anything when you see that equation of like this word equals this definition because i mean like i i kind of i, I know that i don't really see the difference between that statement or the statement about uh brothers being male siblings i don't see the difference between that and the water is h2o statement once you know water is H2O, once that's been discovered and kind of proven as a consensus scientific theory, how is I don't no longer see how that's different from the brothers are male siblings statement. Well, maybe we should pick a different let's pick a different example of an empirical observation. So I, I don't know, let's say what's what's the age of the earth? Six thousand like, years. Oh, Jesus. Like 6,000 years. years? Yeah, okay. So, um, <laughs> you know, so the Earth is 6,000 years old is what what is often called a synthetic statement um, because it relies on our empirical observations about the world. And it's, it's informative because it, it tells us something about the external world that's based on our observations. And we might at some future date, discover that that statement is false and that the world is, in fact, more than 6,000 years old. Now, I highly doubt that we are going to discover that the Earth is more than 6,000 years old, but we might. And that's different from the statement, all brothers are male siblings, which we are, we are never going to find out that that statement is false because it is, that's an analytic proposition and it is sort of true by definition. And so it's not really in any meaningful sense informative because it doesn't tell us anything new about the world. Except that okay. all, all, all information has some value, you know, even in the fact that it, it, it just exists in a certain date and time and, and, and context, but maybe not from the point of view of its truth value. Right. Sure, but I think the point of this paradox is is to show you that just by attempting to come up with better or quote-unquote new definitions of words, you're not really um, generating any new knowledge. All you're doing is providing a... You're providing a... At least... Uh, purportedly a true definition of a term but if it turns out that that definition is true um then it's then it's not informative because you know it, it's you can you're just lying in the pockets of miriam webster <laughs> <laughs> creating new editions of their dictionaries yeah big word has got you in this pocket yeah yep. exactly um and so this, you know, this actually led to an interesting kind of fork in analytic philosophy. W.V. Quine, again, in the long tradition of philosophers who did not want to use their first names. Yeah, just stop it. Like, what? how embarrassing are your names that you've got to do was this? It, was it maybe uh, a tax thing? A tax thing? 
the Willard Van Armen Quine. And I, frankly, I think Willard is a pretty dope name, but he published an article in 1951 called Two Dogmas of Empiricism. Um, and I was, I was just earlier talking about that analytic synthetic distinction. And he like he argued that the distinction was untenable. And essentially, he thought that because the the idea of an analytic truth was actually sort of a red herring. And that because because these analytic statements are not informative, it's not even worth calling them truths. And like it, it's not like this, the the statement all brothers are male siblings is like so trivially true that it's on a like a totally kind of different plane from a statement like the Earth is six thousand years old. Did he want to come up with a different word for that 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 kind of um, uh, property? Which kind of property? The the idea of something that that's true, but we can't even be bothered to call it true because it's so obvious. Like, is it another classification of of a thing that he can just use? Well, as a he, I mean, what he's what he's talking about is what is what were considered to be analy- analytic truths, um, th- you know, throughout much of twentieth century philosophy, and what he's essentially saying is that. Yeah, there's this thing that you're calling an analytic truth, but it's not really anything more than a dictionary definition. So all of these projects, all of these philosophical projects that we that we thought were uncovering new information about the world were essentially just like sort of generating competing dictionary definitions for terms like free will or good or evil or, you know, like... Uh, so, so it's just like hey, the the point is that these that that while while perhaps true, like only these statements are only true in the most trivial sense of, of in the sense like you know if I look up a word in the dictionary, there's this definition, and you know is it true that this word means this thing? Well, yeah, um, because that's what it means. But it did, doesn't. Did he, you know, did, he, I, did he use this? Did he use this this classification in a, in a smackdown against another philosopher as a, as a cutting burn? You're just a dictionary writer. <laughs> um, I not that I know of. Potentially in some other possible world. So anyway, I, I don't think that like um, you know that that again, like most paradoxes, this is sort of like widely disputed. And Quine and others um, argue that that we're living in a, a post-analytic world, sort of where where analytical philosophy. Like has sort of taken a little bit of a, a backseat um, to other modes of thinking because because of this thought that the sort of analysis of words or language doesn't actually yield new knowledge. So I think this is like an interesting paradox, um, again, without a widely agreed upon resolution because it kind of makes a pronouncement about, you know, much of the philosophy that was carried out in the anglo-american world throughout much of the 20th century so i know we're going to get emails about dismissing the idea that the earth is six thousand years old are we going to get emails are we going to get emails about uh gender identity in our uh all male siblings are brothers definition um you know i i wondered about that um and probably so I guess I could have picked a better example. Yeah. 
No, I, uh, I bring it up just because I uh, like popped into the back of my head as we were talking yeah. about it. And I think that that's kind of a, a classic example of that paradox. Um, but on a side note, I think that we're all down with new gender identity roles and definitions so in no way shape or form was that meant to be a yeah it's funny i you know i try to rewrite these things as i come across them because you know so many of this sort of like standard examples you know that get carried like throughout the literature have these sort of like outmoded ideas baked into them um you may recall from an early (laughs) early episode maybe even the first episode where i where i rewrote rawls thought experiment about which was originally phrased as Jim and the Indians, you know, which was about this guy in South America who faced this moral dilemma. And we completely rewrote that because we were like, oh my God, we can't actually like read this on the air. So yeah, it's a, it's a good point. You know, it's, it's just like you, you, you get these examples like sort of stuck in your head because they get passed down through the literature. We'll make a, we'll make a a link to, uh, to the GLAD organization on the website. So people, can donate to yeah uh, the organization of their choice uh, to help promote uh, trans- transgender uh, media programs, uh, which we completely support. Also, a great topic if you want to check out uh, predestination. No spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. That movie does have like a. That's that movie's weird. Yeah, we're not but having not. Seen we're not going to get any complaints. The, the plot. Of we're not going to get any complaints about the the reference to the brothers. We're not going to get any complaints about the um the 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 six thousand years. We're going to get all requests for us to not spoil science fiction content. <laughs> we didn't. I don't, I don't think we spoiled anything. I don't, think we, I don't think we spoiled anything. Somehow we talked about nine movies and didn't spoil anything. Yeah. Um. Okay. Are we going to vote on something tonight? Yeah. I th- I thought. I think. We're, weren't we going to vote on whether or not Starship Troopers is a good movie? I think so. Yeah, I'm not even. I I feel like Starship Troopers is a good movie is equivalent to saying Starship Troopers is Starship Troopers. Like Starship Troopers <laughs> and good movie well are kind of just like the, they mean the same thing. So it's a it's an analytic truth. We we don't really even need to vote on it. Okay. Well, I'm going to vote on it anyways and say, <laughs> yes, it is a good movie. And uh, my support for voting yes is as follows. One, it's got like a lot of weird social commentary that unless you've seen it recently, you might have kind of forgotten is there in the same way that RoboCop has some of that like bizarre social commentary I'd buy that for a dollar yeah <laughs> it's got jake Busey and the Busey family teeth in it it's got <laughs> neil patrick harris in it yeah. michael ironsides has a robot arm in it it's a good movie yeah it is uh also as, as we've noted before um uh based on a book by robert heinlein uh who also and i'd like to also vote for the movie uh purely for the fact that um the original series of uh, Star Trek's uh, The Tribbles were based on a creation from his uh, universe as well. So I think uh, uh, anything he does must be great. I did not know that Heinlein created the, the Tribbles. Like, directly created them, or they were what, they were based on a short story or a novel? Yeah, he based a, um, he created a, um, a creature known as the Martian Cat that directly inspired the writer <laughs> of that episode so much so that he, he, he was worried he and the television studio, Desilu, uh, were going to get sued by uh the right. uh, by Heinlein and his team. 
Uh, the the well-known hmm. logician and theistic philosopher Timothy McGrew, who was my logic professor in graduate school, I think recommended that we read The Moon is a Harsh Mistress in like every other class, which is one of Highland's most famous novels. And I never read it. So take that. It's a heavy political <laughs> novel that happens to reference the moon a couple of times. <laughs> like once. <laughs> okay. Wait, Mark, did you vote for Starship Troopers being a good I, movie? I did. I, I voted for it. Okay. He kind of just voted for the author of Starship right. Troopers and then <laughs> yeah. Starship Troopers by proxy. But yeah, this might be the first show where we have consensus voting on a topic. Huh. I don't know. I'd have to go back and check. Yeah. But. My only concern that, that put me in some doubt with the movie is when it was first released, the um, the slug, the, um, the the subtitle in the way that it's promoted on movie posters and on TVs was uh, Starship Troopers, uh, This Generation Star Wars. Which, maybe not. <laughs> I think Star Wars was just any generation Star Wars. Uh, I, I mean, this this generation's Star Wars prequels, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I'd watch Starship Troopers before any of those movies. Yeah. But that was made before those movies came out, so they would have had to have some kind of precognition to know that. Backwards causation. All right, we got to get out of here. Let's get back over that bridge. Just, just quickly before we go, <laughs> um, shout out to our new Twitter followers. Here's just a handful in, in no particular order. Um, thanks for following us, uh, George Pimenta, uh, Samantha Rideout, uh, Jeff Shattuck, Chris Mayfield, Mark uh, Ikson, Jed Wexler, Inverse Phase, and of course, the one, the only, the essential Star Trek. Uh, follow those guys. Great content. Check them out. Jed Wexler is like a sweet, I mean, speaking of science fiction, that's like a sweet Star Wars, like expanded universe character name. <laughs> Jed Wexler? He's a fighter pilot. Yeah, for sure. For Rogue Squadron. <laughs> Send us a, he- a sexy headshot, Jed Wexler. <laughs> <laughs> All right. As always, thanks for listening, everybody. If you haven't already, please take a second and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. And if you like the show, why not give us a rating in iTunes? It really helps other handsome people find the show. You can find show notes and other random things about the show at you've got it all wrong.net. And if you have a question or comment, you can send them to questions at you've got it all wrong.net. You can also follow us on Facebook, just search for You've Got It All Wrong, or on Twitter. The show is at All Wrong Podcast. I'm at Paco Allen. I'm at Chad Allen. And from an analytical logic standpoint, I'm at M. Sanders. Maybe... Maybe if it was going to be Star Wars, you'd do Jex Wedler oh, yeah. instead of Jed Wexler. Yeah, probably. Jex, Jex is more of a Star Wars Jex, name. Yeah. Jex Wedler.